breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This. Always a blast to be with you, and thank you for joining me. If you've listened before, a lot to talk about in the world of reform, the world of national security, counterterrorism, and counterideology. If you haven't listened before, well, you're in for a treat, I hope. A little conversation between you and me about issues that are just ignored on the front burner of American politics, American discourse, Western discourse, and especially the third rail of Islamism, the ideology that nobody will talk about, the Voldemort of radical radicalism and violent extremism, whatever that means. It's the ideology that fuels radicalization. And here, I always find those topics week to week that are on the front lines of this battle, a battle that could consume and has consumed a quarter of the world's population that are Muslim. No, not every Muslim is an Islamist, but every Islamist is a Muslim. And here's where we begin the process of countering those ideas. This week, I want to, for the first time in eight plus years, almost nine years since the Syrian revolution, we have a little good news to talk about, and simply from a legislative perspective, but it's worth feeling good for a little bit as we talk about it. Then we're going to talk about this Brazilian parody that Netflix paid for on Gay Jesus. Why is it relevant to this program? And last, sexual predator imams. Why are they given a pass? Why? So first, a guy who has remained anonymous goes by the name Caesar walks around the walked around the halls of Congress giving testimony about Syrian war crimes committed by Assad's regime had 55,000 a library 55,000 photos documenting and journaling the genocide committed against the Syrian population by the Assad regime, the Iranian regime, and the Russians, and also by ISIS. The Caesar Syria Civilian Protection Act looks like, after languishing in the Senate since 2016, it looks like, ladies and gentlemen, it is going to pass this week with the NDA, the National Defense Authorization Act. And I have to tell you, for much of the Syrian-American community, American-Syrian community, whichever way you want to hyphenate it, this is a moment to be proud of, to be happy. Why? Because not only does it add sanctions, there have been many sanctions already, but it adds necessary sanctions. But those sanctions are going to lead one day, God willing, just as we saw in the Bosnian conflict with Milosevic and others, Assad, his family, his henchmen, his genocidal generals will someday be brought to trial for their war crimes. Caesar showed scenes that compared the depra- that compared to the depravity of the Nazis, 
women and children slaughtered by the Syrian government. He's been trying, he's been sort of the center point for a lot of the Syrian organizations that have been trying to get more education about the war crimes committed by the Assad regime, that really all this bill would do, all it would do would be to formalize the United States efforts to bring those to justice that have committed war crimes in Syria so that they can never skate off as the revolution dies off. So I think this is a moment to be proud. It will be signed by the president as he has promised to sign the NDAA and as part of the NDAA, but we'll see. But once that signature goes, it is going to be a small little glimmer of light about the hope, about the hope of democracy. It hasn't existed. It may never exist in Syria again. Who knows? But this glimmer of light will try to bring to justice Assad's horrific killing machines that slaughtered the Syrian people. This was bipartisan. I think there were only eight people that voted, eight senators that voted against it, 80-plus that voted for it. Especially to note our Elliot Engel, Democrat, Mike McCall, Republican, Adam Kinsinger, Republican, that worked tirelessly to bring the bill through the House. It's been languishing in the Senate and now will pass. And thankfully to the Trump administration, it will be passed. Morton Ortegas, the Secretary of State, have been already announcing and lauding the passage of the Caesar Support Act. And he's been trying to bring attention for years now, since he left Syria six years ago. He's visited the Holocaust Museum, reminding the West that these crimes, we've seen them begin before. He was part of a military police forensic photography unit in Damascus. He photographed the aftermath of car crashes, fire, suicide, any accidents that involved the Ministry of Defense. That was before the revolution. He was then, once the Arab Spring began, asked to go to military hospitals, take photographs of detainees, of civilians that have been tortured to death. Not by the regime did he get those orders, but rather by the revolution. And he saw it as a few victims a day initially, and he thought that he would then turn his skills into good. A lot of the YouTube revolution was transmitted to the world as a result of the work of people like Caesar. But unfortunately, the tide never turned. He has pictures of the horrific crimes against humanity done against the children as that revolution started in Dada on March 2011. And now the tens, hundreds of thousands that have been slaughtered, and he has almost 60,000 photos that he shares in just his first two and a half years of the revolution. So this act, hopefully, is a glimmer of hope, is a 
sign that there can be democratic and republican agreement on America standing for good, standing for freedom, standing for the underdogs, those who share our values. And it's heartening. It is heartening to see that now the Caesar Serious Civilian Protection Act will move forward with the support for international prosecution of those accused of human rights abuses. Amen. Now let's move to something a little lighter. Netflix has taken a lot of heat this week. Why? Well, they put out a movie in which they portray Jesus in what most Christians would perceive as a blasphemous portrayal, regardless of sexuality, but in the portrayal of Jesus, a Portuguese-language Christmas special on Netflix, implies that the religious figure is gay. The First Temptation of Christ is its name, and it spawned multiple online campaigns that call on Brazilian authorities to ban the special and criminally charge its creators with vilification of the faith. One of the petitions have been signed by nearly 2 million people. It tells the story of Jesus returning home from the desert for his 30th birthday in a highly satirical format. So it's satire. Bad satire at that, likely. Mary and God are portrayed as illicit lovers, and on and on. I'd rather not describe the details. So the question I ask, when we focus on Muslim reform, right? Remember Charlie Hebdo? Charlie Hebdo was a magazine. Twelve people slaughtered by a terrorist, including a Muslim, by the way slaughtered by ISIS that attacked the magazine because they were ridiculing the Prophet Muhammad and drew on the cover a picture, a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. So they paid the ultimate price. Remember the Danish cartoon incidents? On and on. The, the, the story after story over the past decades of offenses by Muslims that did not want the Prophet Muhammad drawn ridiculed, or blasphemed, right? The whole word Islamophobia comes from an Islamist mindset that criticism of Islam is akin to criticism of Muslims. Now they will tell you, oh, you should have the same rules for Christians and Jews. But can a, can a religion that cannot withstand ridicule, mockery, Satire. Is it worth respect? Are its truths worth believing in if it cannot withstand public mockery? That it needs a, a, a military force of government, of forced punishment to prevent blasphemy. So I think this is a great teaching moment. 
Netflix releases a movie, depicts Jesus in a way that's offensive to the vast majority of Christians. And the fact that one of the world's major religions is able to withstand and take in stride this type of offense, and that Netflix didn't even probably think twice about it, tells you the position given to Christianity compared to Islam when it comes to fear of ridicule. Hashtag gay Jesus has been trending this week. Let's see what happens on Twitter if the hashtag gay Muhammad starts trending. I doubt it. It would ever trend because the Twitterati of Islamists that are the the blaspheme police would not allow it. It would be removed as offensive content. What if the movie had depicted Muhammad as, as gay? I personally, as a Muslim, would find that offensive. But I don't want to be in any way ever associated with fellow Muslims, followers of a faith that we believe in, who could not tolerate such ridicule or denigrating depictions of the prophet of our faith. And I think Mustafa Akil described it the best in 2015 in a New York Times article. He said, why is it that radical Muslims, Sharia supremacists, who believe, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he talked about the, the, the fundamentalist, the radical interpretations of Sharia that punish depictions of the Prophet, that punish criticisms of Islam, but yet don't seem to care about a prophet that in many ways is the same, if not more, revered than Muhammad based on the number of miracles we believe Jesus had as Muslims, Moses, Abraham. And yet that same defense never comes from the radical Islamists. Why is that? And I think he answers that question well, which is something we all believe that are anti-Islamist, that it's not about the Prophet Muhammad, it's about his... It's about the Islamist movement's belief that he is more than simply just the messenger and the prophet of Islam. He is the depiction of an Islamic identity movement. He is the center of Islamist nationalism. So the national identity of Muslims is threatened when you criticize the prophet or you draw the prophet or you violate the laws of Salafi jihadism. So you don't get that same threat from the radical Islamists when they hear or see Jesus ridiculed. It's not their team. So the problem is not a pan-application of blasphemy laws, because if that was true, all the Islamists would act equally deranged when Jesus, Muhammad, or Abraham, or, or Moses were ridiculed. But they do not. Because it's about nationalism. And that's why I hope if there's anything you get from this podcast, and if you see it at our work at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, that you realize that the central argument, the central nuclear 
method, an idea that needs to be destroyed is the concept of the Islamic State. That it has a constitution that is the Quran and not human, that it is a state run by Sharia, God's law, not man-made law. And ultimately, its leader, just like any fascist movement, needs to be some type of infallible icon. Every dictator has the same process and every fascist movement did the same thing. So Islamist fascism has to believe in the inviolability and incorruptibility of the leadership that is their perception of what Muhammad was. Now this doesn't mean that if you're against Islamism you can't love and respect the example of the Prophet. But the question for Islamists and especially the question for anti-Islamists who reject political Islam and reject not only the Islamic State, but all and any Islamic State, is not what the Prophet did in the 7th century. We can negotiate that, talk about it, and see what are the areas to be debated about certain battles and things like that. But what would the Prophet do if he were alive today? Anti-Islamists would make the argument that the highest form of technology when it comes to society, culture, government, and a balance of power is Western liberal democracy. Jeffersonian democracy, the separation of powers in the United States with the first liberty being religious freedom and a government under God and not under a church, a mosque, an institution, religious institution, or any establishment thereof is the preferable system. So, when you see hashtag gay Jesus, it's not just about the ridicule of Christianity, but it's the inability of them to ridicule Islam. And if you're going to make any headway when it comes to defeating radical Islam, we are going to have to be able to withstand and begin to protect those who choose to mock Islam the way they do Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, and every other faith. Because if there's one faith that's protected, it will continue to be radicalized. That radicalization includes the supremacist nature that they are above critique. And all the other faiths are below them. So Netflix, I will not respect your depictions of gay Jesus and others, not only because of their inartful ridicule of one of the world's greatest religions, but also because of your cowardice of being able to ever treat Islam with the same respect or disrespect, I should say, because what you have is the terrorist veto. The terrorist veto is the same as the heckler's veto. The Supreme Court of the United States talks about the heckler's veto, which is that somehow we might have free speech, but if someone shows up and starts yelling in the back of the room, disrupts the, pre- disrupts the speech, etc., then the free speech of the person presenting and the group that came to listen to him and assemble is lost because they're heckling. That heckle becomes the center of attention. The terrorists, by slaughtering Charlie Hebdo's writers and drawers and cartoonists, by protesting in mass violently against the Danish cartoons, 
or the Saudi government imprisoning and torturing those who criticize their interpretations of Islam, or like Rafe Bedoui, who still is in jail now in his eighth year on another hunger strike, who all he did was start by liking a Facebook page about Christianity. These are the signs of fascist interpretations that are far from free and liberal and are obstacles, obstacles to the equal treatment. Yes, through disrespect, but, but freedom is not about the center that deals academically with respect and equality. No, freedom is the ability to tolerate the margins and the extremes. That's what we got to measure it on. So Netflix, grow up. Grow up. Next. I want to talk to you about, remember in this program, we have talked about how all reform is not only big picture foreign policy and strategy on homeland security and it all starts local just like all politics are local all reform is local think globally act locally as they say right coined by many many people smarter than i well i talked to you back in a few years ago how my own mosque in 2014 had a lawyer that was an imam and taught Quranic law and Sharia law and other things and decided on the sermon at the end of Ramadan to target me and use me as an example that there are Muslims in our community that are Islamophobic and hate Islam. I won't get into the whole story. I've talked about it before. Bottom line is, as I was recording a sermon, we transcribed it and then wrote an op-ed in the Arizona Republic about what happens when you take on Hamas in the Muslim community. And ultimately, prove the point that the way Muslims are treated internally that try to preserve and protect values of universal freedom, of universal human rights, is often horrific, horrific at the expense of tribalism and at the expense of anti-Semitism and conspiracy theories and anti-Americanism. That these things drive a lot of the Islamist establishment that lead our community. And you pay a big price if you speak out against them, as I was doing, and I continue to do. And I think that was my point at the time, was that was how radicalization happens. Radicalization is about spreading ideas that somehow we are always victims, that we are, we are not responsible for our own condition. It's always somebody else's fault etc. So radicalization is a lot of sides to that to that coin, if you will. It's not round. 
It has 10, 12 different sides coming at it, related to culture, related to law, related to uh, education, related to sophistication of religious understanding, Western understanding, where Islam is in its history. Well, our own mosque in Scottsdale now, six years later, a few years later, I should say, had a pretty big story happening that many of us didn't even know. And I'm talking to you here from Scottsdale, Arizona, where I taped my podcast. And since that story I told you about with my own mosque from back in 16, I'm sorry, back in 14, things have been pretty quiet. But yet, we notice that the leadership's becoming a little more fundamentalist, if you if you will, a little more set in its ways. And as I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, they brought in Siraj Wahaj. And I talked to you about how anti-American, misogynist, homophobic, how horrifically radical he was when it comes to his ideas. Not particularly uh, advocating violence or, or terrorism, but definitely on that slippery slope to where his apple didn't fall far from his tree, which is Siraj Wahaj Jr. Had a camp in New Mexico in which he was training his children, Siraj Wahaj Sr.'s grandchildren, on how to bomb hospitals and schools. Well, this guy came to Arizona And raised money, taught unity as this with this new Arizona Muslim Alliance. And I talked to you about that a few weeks ago. And that Muslim Alliance was a consortium, a coalition of mosques here locally in Arizona that was teaching our kids unity. The same imam that was supremacist in his mindset. Never condemned his own supremacism, never showed any change in direction. continue to do that. Well, now, one of the imams, as we go through an imam every two years here at the Scottsdale Mosque, the last one, Mutaz Mufta, all of a sudden was relieved of his duties last year. Many of the members of the mosque, we were told, oh, he wanted to be closer to his family and he just had to leave all of a sudden right before Ramadan. He left last year, right before Ramadan. That usually doesn't happen at that kind of time frame in the Islamic community. And when you ask people what really happened, I'm sure especially me, they know that if there's issues that need to be treated and with the antiseptic of sunlight, I'm going to talk about it. So I never knew. It was sort of a hush campaign. Now we found out what actually happened thanks to the courageous work of an organization called FACE, Facing Abuse in Community Environments, FACE. They advocate for Muslim victims, and they put together an 11-month investigation into Mufta. They came to Scottsdale twice, and they have hundreds of pages of documented interviews with victims. So, 
I have to tell you, as a Muslim, I'm offended. And not offended by Trump's rhetoric, by Fox News' coverage of Islamic terrorism, no. Or Israel's treatment of Palestinians, that's nonsense. We have things at our home, in our hometowns, to be offended by. If you look at this guy's report, I found out from a report about Usama Kanan, another imam who had women that were accusing him of improper actions. We won't even get to that story. There have been a number of celebrity imams that have been acting in ways that are horrifically corrupt, deviant, and a sign of just the tip of the iceberg. Why did I say I'm offended? Well, I'm offended by my own community's dishonesty, especially the leadership, by the local media. Again, I found out about this from a religion news service piece that was talking about Canaan and said that FACE did the work on this research, on this investigation into the deviant activity of Canaan. And then they said, as they did the work on a Phoenix imam. Yep. And I'm like, sounds like a story that's familiar. I then look on their website for Facing Abuse and Community Environments Organization. And sure enough, they have a long report on Mutaz Mufta, the imam that was the Scottsdale Mosque imam. So the hush campaign turned out to be hushing over things. As you ask people, I then forwarded that story, posted it on Twitter, Facebook, posted the face report with a number of interviews of women, families, that Mufta, when he was quietly fired from our mosque, he then, by the way, went on to subsequently teach youth at the nearby Islamic Community Center of Phoenix, in the middle of Phoenix, same area. And he had come from Ohio with also questionable issues, with reports now in this report of previous victims. Our community was never told why he was fired. After several filed police reports and complaints made by the Facing Abuse in Community Environments, a group that advocates for Muslim victims, then an 11-month investigation into Mufta ensued. Face released their findings. They revealed that Mufta, who had been contracted or employed with at least 13 Islamic institutions across the United States, had engaged in gross misconduct, from sexual battery and child abuse to marriage fraud and misuse of charitable funds. He was violent with students, frequently hitting or throwing things at them during their Quran lessons. He sexually assaulted congregants by report of witnesses and victims to the face investigators. He bribed them in exchange for their silence. 
He had multiple wives. He took many wives, concealed his other marriages to them, claiming to his congregates that he was still single in search of a partner. He was fired from the Islamic Society of Greater Dayton after his ex-wife accused him of being violently abusive and lying about his marriage status. So in the Me Too era, is America really growing? I guess Me Too only applies to the liberal white left. Is that it? Muslims are white too, by the way. But I guess they're a protected minority who we can't do actual investigative work on. And then when the investigative work is done and packaged into a a, a referenced and resourced and transcribed interviews with numbers of victims, that's not good enough. The face report concluded that the imam's conduct disqualified him from any professional employment within the Muslim community. And yet Mufta is still employed here in Phoenix. We then persisted in letting people know about its existence in this report, and the local press here in Arizona remained silent. The story was pushed to a number of producers who were flabbergasted that this was happening in our town. But when they ran it up the chain, silence, no return calls. I I can't believe it. I mean, close your eyes and ask yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, if this was a Catholic priest who was being outed by victims as a pedophile an accused pedophile Would they be waiting for the jury to come back two, three years later of a conviction before the stories would have any legs? Would that not have garnered some substantial media attention? Any individual in a position of power who exposes our vulnerable community to predator behavior has to be news. The antiseptic of sunlight is the only way to bring communities forward through moral courage and real unity and protection of those who are most vulnerable. But I guess when it comes to Muslims, the minority group that's exploited in the name of political correctness and minority identity politics, I guess we are never to be held accountable for our actions. Nope. doesn't use. Uh, it's not useful to the identity politic that wants to protect Muslims from the Muslim ban or from the Islamophobic right-wing media. Mufta, by the way, is simply the tip of the iceberg, as I mentioned before. There were sermons given at our mosque in Scottsdale at the Islamic school, the Arizona Muslim, Arizona Cultural Academy. Sermons given on unity from the guy Wahaj who introduced President Erdogan as our president repeatedly. And if you look at his speech in September of this year in front of the one of the functions near the UN General Assembly, 
He was fawning all over Turkey, the Turkish president, the AKP, and saying how this is a real leader. This is our leader, our global unifier. The only one unifier that can unify the global ummah, the Muslim community, is Erdogan. And this is the guy who came to Phoenix, led by the Central Muslim Alliance, a consortium of the mosques, centered at the Scottsdale Mosque. So the radicalization process, ladies and gentlemen, radicalization is about supremacist fascist mentality. Dictators who politically torture their opponents also sexually abuse their wives, their, their, uh, uh, anyone in their way. They're racist. They have other examples of why they're morally depraved. So don't think for a second that somehow that the behaviors of Tariq Ramadan, accused of multiple rapes, the grandson of the Muslim Brotherhood, leader and founder, Hassan al-Banna, his grandson, Tariq Ramadan, who was the most popular celebrity icon of political Islam in Europe, who was being held on charges of rape for 13, 14 months and then released last year and still is going to go to trial. He claims his innocence, but the number of victims are many. I think last counted four, five, I don't know. And then you hear the story of Noura, no man, Ali Khan, an imam out of Texas who also had victims that claimed sexual abuse. I don't believe he denied it. And these are just the tip of the iceberg. Behind the radicalization is a mistreatment and an abs- and a God complex that includes not only misogynistic ideas, but misogynistic behavior and sexual abuse. And until we address these things, radicalization is going to continue. It's not a coincidence that ISIS had, I I even hate the term ISIS bride. It makes it seem somehow more acceptable. These are women who who were tortured, enslaved, and then also radicalized to do the beheadings and other things for their militant jihadists as they became jihadists also. So the cross overlap between jihadism, Islamism, Salafism, misogyny, sexual predatory behaviors is not a coincidence. This is why you need to reform. We need to reform the ideas that somehow a woman gets half the vote of a man in a Sharia court. She gets a quarter of the inheritance of her brothers. All these ideas need reform. That somehow the Saudis, if they allow women to drive, that that makes them reformers. Yeah, that's a step forward. But is there any legal speeches from clerics and imams in Mecca and Jeddah saying why they can drive because they're equal? The king still has last count somewhere upwards of 10, 12, 14 wives. I don't know how many wives he has. The tribe of Saud 
with all the wives that they have inherent in multiple wives and polygamy is a degradation of the identity and individualism in respect of women. So it's not a coincidence the Scottsdale Mosque, as modern as it tries to be, and it's interfaith work. When we helped form it, now remember, I was, as I've told you before, they asked me to help defend them after 9-11 when the community had a visceral reaction to a mosque being built for the first time in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I did. It seemed to be a moderate American Muslim community. And for the most part, it still is. But the leadership has become more entrenched in global political Islam. And the leadership has begun to become part much more so of Islamist movements with fealty to some of the speakers like Siraj Wahaj that are separatists and that are Islamists. The lack of reporting on the imam in Scottsdale, I think, was a huge disappointment. The response of the Muslim community's inability to talk about why he left openly was not only a huge disappointment, but part of the pathology, in that the inability to talk about it probably protected him from real accountability from all of his victims. The few that came forward, God bless them for speaking to the face organization, for reporting it, and the courage to face their tormentors. But I would imagine there are more that we don't know about, as we learned in the Catholic Church crisis and others, that predators will continue and must have been doing this for a long time. When he's released from one job to the next, what's the moral responsibility of the mosque in Ohio and Dayton that sent him to our mosque without letting us know about his previous problems? They'll claim they didn't know, or they weren't sure he wasn't convicted. They couldn't, they couldn't present things of concern. Did they say that they wouldn't hire him again? They can say that. They can't talk about his behaviors. They didn't feel a moral requirement. What's the difference with FACE? What did FACE do in their investigations and discussions that revealed all these things from Dayton to Scottsdale to Phoenix that somehow was not available to any of the leadership of any of these mosques that he's worked for? So again, you see the pathologies being protected and incubated by Islamists that are tribal, that are corrupt, that really don't have a moral courage or moral spines. So going forward, link in your own communities that if you love your neighbors, be they Muslim, Jewish, Christian, whatever they might be, it's the Jewish community that would speak out about a rabbi that exploited his congregation because of his position and abuse them. It's the Catholic, the Catholics that would speak out if a Catholic priest 
exploited his position. And it's Muslims that are speaking out and should speak out much more so. But they need to be given the opportunity, the platforms, the respect, and the tough love to provide that antiseptic of sunlight, which we have not done. There is some deep pathology going on, ladies and gentlemen, in America where these stories exist and they're not being covered for Muslims the way they're being covered for every other faith. They're not being discussed within our communities the way they're being discussed in Hollywood and in New York, in media. The way they have been. Well, it's always great to be with all of you. Thank you for listening to Reform This. Have a blessed Christmas with your family. Enjoy the blessed holiday to all my Christian friends. God bless you in your in your uh, holiest of days. As you remember Jesus, as you remember God and your families. And to my Jewish friends, hope you had a blessed Hanukkah this year. And also, may you also have had a blessed remembrance of all those who you love in your life as you share the gifts of life and the gifts of health in our countries. To all of you, God bless you. We'll talk to you after the New Year's. This is Zudi Jastro and Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.